0: Boy, I tell you what, nothing feels like Palm Sunday and Easter like a half a foot or more of snow. Am I right? What, uh, what a weird day yesterday was. Uh, but thank you for uh, your willingness to uh, to kind of take on the elements and uh, and come and gather with us this morning on this Palm Sunday. as uh, Yesterday as well, right in the middle of all that storm, we had a parenting conference that was here and uh, and so those of us who knew we really needed help, we, we came, and, um, and, and it was great. So thank you to all of those who helped out uh, with that conference yesterday. And while we were here for about three hours, I mean, it stoned another two or three inches during that time. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy, but it was, great to, uh, it was great to be here. And so thank you again for those who came and those who, who helped out with that. Um, you know, last week we talked a little bit about... Um, about dying and then rising and the importance of that. And uh, one of the things that we talked about was how thankful I am for our saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are older. And sometimes older saints are are not wanting to die in such a way that brings new life. And we have a great contingent of older saints here um, who, do, uh, who are willing to die in ways that bring new life. And uh, I was reminded of that because on Thursday we had a funeral for uh, one of our older saints, um, 87 years old, Bob Steinmetz. Darren mentioned him in prayer. And he was a charter member here, and um, I'm reminded that we now have, I think it is 17 charter members left. Uh, and so, um, but I just want to, to, to thank again um, those who came to that funeral and just to be reminded um, of, of how wonderful all older saints are, but then also of the ways in which they have given new life. Uh, so, that's as an inter, or that's a, as a prelude to, to this, which is that. Um, If you want to get a text this week, um, then um, type in ZPC Devo, or yeah, I guess not better than Diva, Devo to 39970. uh, And you're going to get a text all all week. Um, This is kind of like the Advent one that we did. Um, but the person today who is doing that devotion is Sean Odell, who is 19 years old, and he has been here his whole life. Um, and and I bring that up because of the fact of how important our. Now I don't know at what age you stop being a covenant child. To me, it gets older and older every year that I get older. But let's say at least through college, it seems to me. But those who have come before have paved the way so that people like Sean Odell, 19 years later, can be writing a devotional that then comes and speaks into each of our lives. Um, and, and I think that that is a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and so this is the way that the church works through the dying and then through the new young people coming up and then being able to pass on that word. And so uh, I encourage you this week during Holy Week um, to go there. It won't always be Sean O'Dell. There will be people of various and a sundry ages um, who will be giving devotions during this week. But I encourage you to do that. Um, that way, especially if Friday or Saturday or Sunday, you find yourself elsewhere other than central Indiana, um, you can still be reminded of the importance of this season. So I would encourage you to do that. If, you're, if you did this during Advent, um, you should already, in fact, you probably already got that text. How many people got that text this morning already? Wow. So you guys are like, will you please move on? We already got it. But it was a great devotional that Sean did, and so uh, I encourage you to do that if you haven't done so yet. Well, we are done with Jacob, and we have moved on into Palm Sunday. And this is a text that, my guess is, is pretty familiar with most of us, or for most of us. Uh, And so today we're going to look at the version that Mark tells, um, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. So I invite you to hear these words. When they, being Jesus and the disciples, when they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately." They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late... He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. and Let's pray. God, as we enter into this holy week, I pray that you would still our hearts and our minds, that you would help us God, to remember the importance of this time. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to come together as sisters and brothers in Christ, and to reflect yet again, Lord, on a passage that we know well, perhaps, And yet we know, Lord, that there is always something new for you to speak into our lives. And so we pray that you would help us to be open to that this morning. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I was still pretty sleepy. I hadn't even yet gotten out of my yellow uh, Big Bird pajamas, with the footies in them, mind you. As my mom woke me up early while it was still dark and began to carry me out to our sweet uh, Volkswagen Baby Blue Bug. Now, I was only four or five years old at the time, so I didn't realize just how cool that car was or how much I would have wished when I was in high school that we still owned that car. But there I was with my uh, Winnie the Pooh uh, in tow, and I was sitting in the very back seat, of course, right in the, in the middle. Uh, not surprisingly, this was the late 70s. Uh, I, uh, no car seat, uh, no safety belt. I, I'm pretty sure I had no idea what those straps were even for. And we began to drive to the hospital. We were going to the hospital because my father worked at the hospital. So we, for some reason, only had one car right then. And so we had woken up early in order to take my dad to the hospital. It was just a five-mile drive or so. Everything was fine, like it had always been, at least for the first couple of miles. And then all of a sudden... My mother's hand almost kind of impaled my chest as she reached back and she grabbed me as hard as she could and she yelled, hold on. Before you know it, I heard that somewhat familiar sound now of the crunching of metal, of of the tires that had tried to hold on as much as they could to the asphalt to to slow us down. I, I didn't know at first what had happened. I couldn't actually see. I wasn't tall enough to be able to see what was happening in front of us. I just knew whatever it was, it was unexpected and it probably was not good. And when I looked and I saw the windshield, there were cracks all in the windshield and what looked like kind of cobwebs kind of hanging down. I I didn't know what that was. I thought it must be something from the window, but it wasn't. What I would come to discover later on was that my mother, because she also had not been wearing a seatbelt, her head had hit the windshield. and, And it was her hair that had gotten stuck in the windshield and was just kind of hanging down. It was an incredibly scary event, one I can really kind of call to mind pretty easily, even now some, you know, 40 years later. But one of the things that I struggled with for a while after that accident was wondering why in the world we couldn't avoid the car that had pulled out in front of us, that had turned actually right in front of us. Because it seemed to me that the amount of time from when my mother had grabbed my chest until the time when I actually heard us hit the car had to be at least 30 or 40 seconds, if not longer. And so I wrestled with this for a while until finally I asked my mom, why why couldn't dad have stopped? What was was wrong? There was like so much time to know what was coming. And she looked at me somewhat strangely and she said, "What what are you talking about? That's not at all how it happened. He said, what happened was as soon as, you know, we saw it, it was almost like a split second. I grabbed you, bam, we hit the car. And I realized then it was my first kind of experience that when things are going to be highly, in times of high trauma or when there is major stress that is about to happen, this weird kind of effect where everything seems to slow down, right? Almost like it's in slow motion, I'm not sure why it is. Maybe the brain can only take so much fear and anxiety at one time, so it tries to slow it down. I don't know why. I just know that since then, I've had other moments like that where everything, where something horrible was going to happen and you could see it, but there was nothing you could do to stop it. And everything just kind of happened so slowly. I thought about that story Because in many ways, it seems to me that there may be some similarities to what we see going on with Jesus in this particular scene. I I have a feeling that in many ways, this was a slow motion kind of day for Jesus. As he began to get closer and closer to Jerusalem. To the collision that he knew that was soon going to occur. Right, I, I just kind of picture him kind of on this colt of a donkey, if you will, which already, of course, is not exactly the fastest of animals. And, uh, but I, I get this sense of, of him just kind of slowly taking it all in as the colt just kind of does one clippity-clop after another. I picture him kind of looking out and hearing the Hosanna's and, and hearing everyone say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, almost like it comes from a, a far-off distance, like a like almost an out-of-body experience. I picture him looking and having the time and the slow motion to be able to see the face of each person that is shouting his name, that is so excited that he is. There. But when I then go and I picture what it was like for those who had gathered, I get almost the exact opposite. Feel almost as if everything that is happening for them, for the crowds that is gathered, is very fast-paced. Uh, w- one commentator says that that Passover was always a time when 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 revolution was fomenting, if you will, when when people thought, oh, this is going to be it, right? It's almost like I, the, the image that came to my mind. No offense, Cubs fans. is like what it was like for Cubs fans for so long when they said, maybe this is going to be the year when we will be victorious, right? You have the Israelites, like sitting there saying, maybe this will be the year when finally the Messiah will come. This will be the year when we can finally be freed from the oppression of the Romans. Maybe this will be the year. And so in those moments, you do as much as you can to get things going as quickly as possible. So there they are, padding, them, making as quickly or as easy of a path for, for Jesus to get there. Good. Jesus is here. Let's go. Revolution has no time to be slow. You want them to happen as fast as is possible, so nobody knows what is actually occurring. And so you have the speed, if you will, of of this particular scene for the crowd, as well as the slowness of what this must have felt like if you were Jesus. It's a bit hard to watch because we all know, at least probably 90% of us here, we all know what is going to happen Right, We all know what is soon going to occur. It's kind of like when you have a video of an accident and you know the accident is going to happen. You don't want to watch in one sense, so you cover your eyes. But then if you're anything like me, you open up your fingers just enough so that you can see what's going to happen. A collision, and this is a collision of many sorts. It's a collision between Jesus and the Romans. It's a collision between the disciples and their own fears and their denial and their betrayal. It's a collision with the cross and the Messiah. It's a collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. It is a collision that we know is going to happen and yet we can't stop watching it nonetheless. Perhaps... The collision that is most well known is the collision between the crowd's understanding and thoughts of who Jesus was going to be and who he actually ended up being. Now this is something that we talk about annually on Palm Sunday, I think. Most of us know this, that this is the collision between who they thought Jesus was going to be. They thought he was going to be the king. They thought he was going to come in all of a sudden and take over for the Romans. They thought that, that this was finally going to be their time, when, when Jesus was going to politically and, and perhaps even militarily kind of take over. They, they all thought that, and yet Jesus' kingdom, of course, as we know, was, was of a totally different sort And so we know as we watch this that these same crowds, many of them are going to be the same crowds that that just two or three days later are going to say, no, 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 let's be done with this Jesus. We've talked about that. We we know this. 2,000 years later, we see this collision. We know it well. But I have a feeling that Jesus also knew it well. That Jesus also, in that slow motion of a time, knew that it wasn't going to be very long before the crowds who had gathered around were going to be disillusioned and disappointed. That there was going to be a collision between who they thought he was versus who he actually was. And the question that I had this week is this, why didn't Jesus do anything to avoid that collision? Sure, maybe he was, he was going to have to go to the cross no matter what. But why didn't he stop the colt right there? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And tell them that... He was not going to be the kind of Jesus, the kind of Messiah that they had imagined. What kept him? Why didn't he just kind of stop it all right there? He had tried to do it to the disciples. He told them again and again that it was going to be different than what they thought. Why didn't he stop those crowds and say, Stop stop screaming these words if you don't know what they actually mean. Let me tell you what is going to happen. How come he didn't at least put them in a car seat or some kind of safety belt Or something, so that they would be prepared for how angry they were soon going to be when all of a sudden this collision occurred. And as I thought about that more, I was reminded again of the accident that occurred so long ago now in that beautiful bug. If you don't get it, I I really miss that car. sure my parents could have done more to have kept me safe on that day right I mean sometimes I wonder did they really love me is that you know why did they put me why did they not put me in some kind of you know car seat or something right now they're in car seats until they're 21 I think so we we clearly love our children more I'm just kidding there is one way though that they could have kept us from colliding There is one way that they could have kept me from ever having to face that collision. Do you know what that was? Just had me stay at home. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't work for the insurance company, but I have a weird feeling that the number of of auto collisions that occur in the home versus those outside of the home is dramatically different, wouldn't you think? I could have clearly avoided that collision if I had stayed home. I would have been so much safer. Right? I would not have had to hear those tires screeching or hear that metal crunching. I would, I would not have had to look up and see that windshield, Right, an image that I, can't, that I will never get out of my mind. I wouldn't have to have even thought about oh, those fears or anxieties that I had to then endure when I would get back in a car again. I, I could have just sat there and been very safe and comfortable and never had to deal with any of those collisions at all. I would have been completely safe. But I also would never have gone anywhere. I would not have learned anything that I learned when I finally began to actually get on the road and go places. I, I wouldn't have been able to experience things in our country or our world. I, I would never have been able to learn from accidents like that one that happened then. And then the other accidents of all sorts. The other collisions that I would endure, that most of us, that all of us endure in one form or fashion. I would have been safe. I would have been comfortable. But I might as well have been dead. Because I would have had no movement and no growth at all. And when I began to look at it through that lens, all of a sudden something became abundantly clear to me which is that on Palm Sunday, here is what we so often do. We look at Jesus, we look at the donkey, we think about those two disciples and how crazy that was, and then we think about those foolish crowds and how they couldn't get it right. We focus on all of those things, and we end up feeling pretty good about ourselves because we understand Jesus, of course, much better than they did, and we think about all of those people. But do you know who we never, it seems to me, hardly ever at least think about? The people who stayed home. We rarely ever think about the people who stayed behind the safe walls in Jerusalem and did not venture out to see who this Jesus was. The people who decided that they would much prefer to be comfortable. Maybe they didn't even think about Jesus at home. But they were safe from the Romans. Nobody was going to get upset that they were a part of this, quote, revolution. And they were busy, perhaps, in their own task. And they didn't have to think about him at all. And they are completely missing all of the scene. Which made me wonder whether or not a part of the reason why Jesus didn't get overly upset with those who had gathered around. Part of the reason maybe why Jesus didn't say, whoa, Colt, let's talk a little bit more with these people around here and try to clarify who they think I am is this, is because Jesus perhaps realized that the worst thing in the world is not to get into a collision with him. The worst thing in the world is to never get in a collision with Jesus at all. And that at least, if nothing else, all of those who had gathered on that particular day had finally been able to, they at least were thinking something about Jesus. They at least knew that he was important. They at least knew that he was going to bring them some kind of freedom. That he was going to rescue them, save them, as Hosanna means, in some way. And even if they didn't quite get it right... At least they were thinking about him. The reality, it seems to me, is that perhaps the crowds, in some way at least, should be applauded. Because they were thinking about Jesus. And and perhaps, it seems to me, as we think about this, as followers of Jesus that there are times maybe when the reason why we might not be a part of that particular crowd, the reason why we may just stay at home is either because we aren't thinking about him or perhaps for some of us, it's more of because of the fact that we have grown so comfortable with this particular Jesus, have this sense that we haven't figured out that, that he never collides with us anymore at all. That by and large, we live a very safe life when it comes to Jesus, free of collisions that who he is versus who we think he is never collide because we think that we have him figured out. N.T. Wright has this quote as he thinks about this passage he says have we so domesticated and trivialized our Christian commitment our devotion to Jesus himself that we look on him simply as someone to help us through various things we want to do anyway someone to provide us with comforting religious experiences in other words, this week as I was thinking about this particular scene, I was wondering, have we in some way domesticated Jesus so much that it's not that we don't think about him perhaps, but it's that we think we have him so figured out that there is no way that he could ever surprise us. And so here's what happens. We tend to then be much more comfortable just sitting at home, uh, literally or figuratively, and just saying, we've got this all figured out. And I know that this happens because I have seen seen it in my own life. Right this week, I had the opportunity, I can't even remember now why it was, but to to, to talk about something we've talked about before, which which is that right before I went to seminary, I sat down and I tried to figure out how few Bible classes I could take and still graduate. And the reason I did that was not because I thought the Bible was unimportant, but it's because for some reason I was at a place where I just kind of thought, by and large, I have the Bible figured out, and I have Jesus figured out. I mean, I, I grew up memorizing it from such a young age, which is great in lots of different ways. And, and, and yet, for some reason, I just kind of thought I had him figured out, right? There were no great surprises anymore when it came to Jesus, you know? Just try to be good and, and love people, and that's, that's pretty much it. And so, by and large, I had domesticated him. Right? And only when I went to seminary and all of a sudden I began to see a Jesus that was perhaps different than what I had imagined him being. Only when I began to again kind of read the scripture afresh did all of a sudden Jesus start to become more alive. Only then that Jesus started colliding with me again and again and again. The reality is that for most of us, maybe we you know we think about Jesus, but the question on a day like today is. Are we so comfortable with our own image of Jesus that we are not aware or prepared to have the actual Jesus collide with us and change how we understand who he is? When is the last time that Jesus collided with you? Because the truth be told, if Jesus has not collided with you recently, I have a strange feeling it's not because you understand Jesus completely or because you are so holy, it is that you have simply become way too comfortable with him. A month or so ago, um, ZPC men went go-karting and I was very disappointed because I was unable to go. I was out of town at a fellowship conference in Atlanta, and so I couldn't go. I was really disappointed, because when we went last year, it was awesome. I mean, it was amazing. We went down to Speedway, and I remember, well, I was really excited about it, Uh, and then I showed up, and I realized, right, I should have been aware of this, that there are, like, people who are really into go-karting, right? And how did I know this? Because they came bearing equipment, right? I mean, they came, they had their own helmets. Uh, I think someone had his own gloves. I mean, it's kind of like, it reminded me of when I, when I when I go bowling, you know, and you kind of show up at bowling and you're like, oh, this is just gonna be kind of fun. And, and someone comes in, they got their bag. Zip, zip, zip. and they have shoes right and they have their own ball meanwhile I'm over there you know at, at all the racks oh no that one doesn't fit you know that one's got big dents in it right I mean that was the kind of the difference right I mean there are people who are who are really into kind of bowling and people who are really into go-karting right I didn't I didn't realize that I, I went in thinking I was gonna be pretty good and and and, and I just got crushed right but it was okay because we had a great time and it was it was fun. Towards the end of the time, there were about four of us, four or five of us, who decided that we were going to do the, the little short track, right, which is it's like a little oval, right? It's, it's, really, it's really fun, uh, but it's really fast, right? And so, I mean, I, I honestly, I could hardly see. I felt like we were going so fast. But not surprisingly, everyone else was going faster than me, right? But that was okay because we were having a great time. And so we were winging around, Zzz, you know, doing this. Well, there was a guy. He happened to be a guy who had a helmet. Uh, And not only that, he also had a GoPro camera on his helmet to videotape all of this. Well, I happened to be ahead of him. He must have lapped me or something. And so he was coming up behind me, and, and, and he was kind of in the inside of me, but I had him by just a little bit. And so what I started doing was he would kind of catch up to me on the straightaways, but on the corners, I would begin to veer towards the inside of the track, Which meant he had to do one of two things. He had to either slow down or he had to collide with me. It was awesome. And he did not collide with me. So he just had to keep slowing down. So I just kept going around keeping him at bay. Now I thought this was wonderful and pure genius. Apparently it's not the proper protocol which still doesn't make sense to me. What am I supposed to let someone go by? I mean, it's, it's very bizarre, but, but we'll get out. And I'll just say he didn't seem happy and I didn't care, right? I mean, this was probably the greatest of moments, right? It was, it was really, it was fantastic. I bring that up this morning, not just to mock him. <laughs> I bring that up this morning To say, in many ways, it feels like that's one of the roles. It's this great image, it seems to me, of being a pastor. That a pastor has two roles in some sense. One is to slow people down. Right, again, in an area like ours, we talk about this, but we talked about a couple weeks ago, formation happens, one of the ways is by repetition. So we have to keep saying this. We live in such a fast-paced place, right, that we have to slow down. And a part of my role is to get us to slow down, to put speed bumps in our lives. So to either slow down or also to cultivate an environment, I hope, where we are colliding, not with a go-kart or a car, but I'm more than happy to do that if need be. More like to collide with Jesus, to create an environment in which we are colliding with Jesus. Here's the thing, if every Sunday you come in here and you leave with the exact same image of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as you had when you came in here, then it seems to me that I am not doing my job. Right? And in the same way, of course, that doesn't mean that I always have Jesus figured out either. There have been lots of people over the years, and including my time here, who have been able to say, well, what about this part of it? And who have helped me to kind of shape my own understanding of who Jesus is. Right? We have to collide with Jesus. Again, if you aren't colliding with Jesus, it is not because you have not figured out or because you are holy. It is because you are probably not paying attention. That bird is so annoying. It's slowing me down. And it keeps colliding with the window. Where was I? A part of the role of the pastor is to help us to collide with Jesus. But another part, it seems to me, is that's also the role of the church. One of the things I love about ZPC is that we have a fair amount of people who are either brand new to the church or oftentimes are people who maybe grew up in the church, but they never really studied the Scripture all that much. They didn't really study Jesus all that much. And what I love about that is they take Jesus and Scripture really seriously. And so they come in oftentimes to someone like me or to others, and they bring up things about Jesus or they point out things in Scripture that we have perhaps glossed over. And they're bringing that up all of a sudden makes us aware and reminds us and makes us kind of crash in again to who Jesus is. But it's also the role of the church in our community. The role of the church in our community is to cause collisions with Jesus for those who are out there. It's one of the reasons why I'm always talking about loving our neighbors, Because there are so many folks who are behind their homes or behind the walls of their homes and aren't thinking about this, and they are not going to come in here. They won't. And a part of our role is to go out and to meet them where they actually are. Sometimes we have to bring the car into their homes or into our homes when we have invited them in. And that doesn't mean that we then begin to drive the car. No, 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 it is up to Jesus, but we provide the road, if you will. We provide the track, if you will, in which Jesus can collide with them and let them know who he actually is. And that is a part of the role of the church My hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers, is that we will be a community that is not afraid to collide with Jesus. If Jesus were to walk into this room on a colt, or if he were to ride in this room on a colt, My hope is that we would be the ones shouting Hosanna. That we would be the ones singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That we would be the ones putting leaves in front of him. But guess what? More than likely, our image of Jesus is probably not exactly perfect. And so we then need to be willing to be able to have that Jesus collide and change us. But here's what happens, is that God is so full of grace that he will allow us to not always get it right. To worship sometimes out of our own desires and not out of a desire to love God. But God is so gracious that God will continue to march along with us and to listen to those praises and then to collide with us at times. But each time that Jesus collides with us, I believe we take some dents. But my hope and my prayer is that each of those dents then helps us to be shaped more like who Jesus actually is and less like we thought he once was. On this holy week, I hope that you will slow down. I hope that you will read the devotional that comes up each morning. Or that you will take some time, it's supposed to warm up, maybe it's going to rain, but get an umbrella. That you will go outside, that you will take some time, create space this week to slow down and to ask, in what way, Lord, do you need to collide with me? And in so doing, sisters and brothers, might we be a part of the crowd who celebrated on that day. And in so doing, might we be able to bring more collisions into our neighborhoods, into our community, and into our world on this Palm Sunday and in the days to come. Amen.